Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, Trunk Fan, me, Master Flex himself, and we've got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, and as always, I'm Bilal Zaidi. Boys, this has been a big, big, big week. As you can see, I'm not in my normal office. I'm in London. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's been a crazy few days, uh, crazy 24 hours to be precise. We're going to talk all about uh, Duquan. The, the lunatic himself, what's been going on with the Terra ecosystem, uh, the UST stablecoin losing its peg that has really sent ripples through the crypto world from the DeFi world all the way to Bitcoin. So we're going to explain that and uh, try to figure out how much of a Ponzi it is or not. And then we've got some uh, a widening of the discussion, the tech meltdown that's been going on. Um, some really good stuff from Trunk on how the downturn this time might be different to the dot-com boom and bust. And then to close it out, we're going to talk about NFTs a little bit. Our boy Jack's going to be talking about people dumping their NFTs. And if we get to it, we're going to talk about electric cars because, uh, you know, Jack's a fan. So um, No, no, we have to talk about electric cars because I yeah, know nothing right. about cars. Jack is a huge fan, but I will defend Tesla to the death because I'm a, <laughs> such a I'm such a freaking Fanboy. reply guy. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Well, you well you both wait, Jack. Do you actually have an electric car or no? So no I got a loaner this week. So this is my first time driving an electric car. So I just want to. Uh, what kind of electric car? A Porsche. It's a Taycan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's it. what Bill. That's what Bill Gates pushes. Bill Gates. Pushes a take on. He pushes a few things, but anyway, yeah. so, all right, and Trung, you're going to kick it off for us with Meme in a Week. Uh, what we got this week, mate? All right, so this is not about us losing all of our bags, which is definitely happening, but uh, this is from Lit Capital. Uh, for the listeners, it's one of those starter pack memes, but this one is called the British Finance Due to F1 Miami Grand Prix Starter Pack. <laughs> <laughs> How accurate is this, Jack? This is... Uh, in, in on the nose right now. Yeah, well, not in any that. circles that I've been a part of, but definitely, it definitely seems like uh, a legit. Uh, been there missing a flower show or two, to be fair. But yeah, okay, we, so let's read that. Let's read. Can you guys tell me what the joke is? Because you guys are the resident Brits here. So obviously, uh, for the listeners, the first joke is uh, the words mate in quotations. So mate, obviously that's said a lot. I get that. What about this dude with the hair? Is this representative? Is like really nice hair? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah it looks like a bit of a. <laughs> yeah, the shirt How would you describe my, that? I think the shirt is my favorite. What the okay. the haircut? I don't yeah. know. This like a two hundred pound haircut, right? This supposed to look like it wasn't a two hundred pound haircut. I think that's the idea. Yeah, that they, that's it. That's it exactly. Oh, look, this one in the bottom right. It's bloody hot. <laughs> yeah. The right, so wait, for people who aren't watching Trunk, you want to read out one by one or like a few yeah, of your favorites? Yeah, I read out a couple of them. So uh, Lit makes fun of the Brits by saying Carbone on the beach last night was, you know, the Italian fingers. What is Carbone? Is that? It, what is that? Is that it's the, a restaurant. Uh, it's the restaurant. Okay, yeah, yeah. So let's just do one. Let's do this two. Kill me. That, vodka, uh, that penny a la vodka life, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. What an absolutely great overtake by Russell. That is such a British line to me. And uh, this one killed me. See you in Monaco later. See you in Monaco later this year. I'll be docking the marina with the lads. <laughs> it's pretty accurate, mate. Pretty so accurate. Guys, okay, is this you guys? Was this you guys? Were you guys ever F one British guy? Was that ever you? I think this is this is more aimed at the uh, 
the financier class, mate, the, okay. uh, you know, yeah. out on the expense, out on the uh, black Amex expense card, courtesy of JP Morgan. That's the, I, I think that's the, that's who's being taken aim at here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, there is definitely an overlap with the, um, can media ex- media sort of guy like that's true. i think that's i feel true. like you might have been a bit part of a bit of your background a little, there. That, <laughs> little ferrari yeah. life i got i did i went to an f1 race in in austin the first the uh, the second u.s grand prix in austin with a brand that was competing at the time and uh, safe to say, my worst hangover of all time, standing <laughs> 15 feet from an F1 racetrack. Recipe for a terrible day out, that is, boys. Um, Can yeah. you give a taste? Give the listeners of single or pre-married and kid Jack, what were you consuming the night before? How much alcohol? <laughs> in what was this pretty, wait, wasn't this recently? Nah, this was uh, 2000. 2000s, probably 2016, 17. Oh, okay, I don't know. Got it, got it. A few years ago. Yeah. Um, very poorly, very poorly behaved. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> late nights out, mate. Just uh, enjoying the uh, enjoying oh. the festivities. Oh, happy Mother's Day to Celia, by the way. That's happy true. Mother- yeah. yeah. Happy Mother's Day yeah. to everyone. Happy moms. Mother's Day to all mothers. Yeah. Uh, and that's another thing. Why they do an F1 race on Mother's Day. Yeah. Great point, man. I did have an outside shot at going, but you can't be leaving on Mother's Day. You know what I mean? Yeah, you get in lot, trouble that, mate. That's a lot of marriage capital you're spending to pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> you got to over-collateralize that visit. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of over collateralized, yeah, this is a great, great segue. Great, segue, great Jack the Segway King here. All right, so <laughs> let's get straight to this. I will actually share one more bonus. It's not really a meme, but it's um, a tweet of the week, really. Let me just quickly share my screen as well. This is from our boy Greg that kind of summarizes what the hell's been happening with Terra. So, uh, can you guys see that? Okay. Mm. Yeah, so it says, what I've learned today, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, one Dogecoin equals one Dogecoin, one dollar equals 70 cents. I think that was a perfect summary of what the hell's been going on. So for people who haven't been following, um, the summary is there's a stable coin, an algorithmic stable coin, which we can explain what that is in a second, called uh, what UST, which is part of the Terra ecosystem. We've talked about that before. It's a top 10 by market cap, cryptocurrency um, and there's basically something called UST which is a stable coin and there's something called uh, Terra Luna and um, they basically work together and the point of it is that that one dollar is supposed to always be one dollar and the summary is that didn't work in the last few days and it's happened before the the peg as it's called has has dropped to like 90 cents or something like that um but yesterday i think last night when we were texting about this it got all the way down to 65 cents on monday uh, we're recording this basically tuesday night and uh, this will come out on wednesday um and at the same time luna the token that is what's called the shock absorber dropped by 50 percent to 30 dollars um, and if you guys, we've talked about Terra a little bit before and Duquan, the guy who started it, um, he's been buying up like $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. So this obviously is going to cause ripples throughout the uh, ecosystem. Um, and the, specifically with Bitcoin, there was Bitcoin 
sell pressure essentially bitcoin dropped 10 percent as well we can't say if that's directly related only to that but it, it i feel like it probably was a, a major catalyst anyway um and as of tuesday ust is back to 90 cents but again it's not it when we recorded when we were reading this earlier when i was reading this earlier it was still at 90 cents so this is a big big deal um did i miss anything else anything else out there boys i got add two things so tara uh, is a layer one. It is like an Ethereum, right? So we have to, uh, that's just something conceptually for the listeners to understand. Yeah. The other thing I'd ask is this, because you are DeFi Bilal and we joke about it. But Bilal, can you tell the listeners as an avid user and tourist in the DeFi <laughs> space, why is it that a stable coin is interesting and important? Can you tell yeah, from your- Yeah, great question. So, and just from what I know, I also actually did recently a, like a, in my consultancy work, a, project on stable coins and it was about the likelihood of um, regulation. So I did a little bit of research on the four main types. So there's, if you think of an axis, there's centralized versus decentralized, and then there's collateralized versus un, well, under collateralized, right? So if you think of um, the most popular one, or, or there's basically Tether and USDC. USDC is run by Circle. Teva is a, another one. Those are supposed to be, I've got $100 million in the bank in you know real US dollars, in or fiat treasury money, or, gold or treasury. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Some sort of collateral. And now we can issue that into digital dollars, right? So that's a centralized one like USDC. A decentralized one similar to that is DAI or from Maker. That was the original kind of white paper that set this all off. That's technically kind of like a, uh, an algorithmic one, but people are able to go on there and put Ethereum to any other collateral and they can basically burn and create DAI. And then um, kind of fast forwarding to, to Terra, what they do is a, is, there isn't anything, there wasn't anything backing it. It was a, you know, apart from the Terra uh, or the Terra Luna in the first place. So basically it was a, an algorithmic stablecoin and the design of it was such that when the peg starts going down, there's an incentive for someone, if it's 97 cents instead of a dollar, so a quick actor could come in, buy that up and eventually that demand would then rise, raise it back up to a dollar. That's kind of my understanding. If I'm wrong, you can correct me. I think that's comments. perfect. I think the axes is such a great point of describing it. So yeah. the ones you did mention, Tether and USDC, so those are stable coins uh, and they are ostensibly collateralized by yeah. assets. And though Tether <laughs> is, there's, there's debate yeah. as to how much they actually have, exactly. but USDC seems pretty legit from what I've seen. Right. So the collateral point is very important. Can we ask you this? Why is a stable coin important? Yeah. So the, the reason is because it's an on-ramp into the crypto universe, right? So most people are still obviously using fiat dollars or pounds or whatever. And when you want to go and execute some of those trades, or you've got money sitting on the sidelines, you, you, you put that into whether that's your Coinbase account, Gemini account, or the decentralized, you know, DeFi platforms. And you're often holding that money. And then you're deploying that very quickly into, you know, whatever you're trying to buy or whatever. You can also do all the, the fun DeFi stuff like lend it out and all that sort of stuff that you can't do with fiat money. You, you need to have a digital crypto version of that. So it's kind of like quite an important part of the whole ecosystem. And then specifically with Terra, uh, with, with, um, UST, people were being paid 
basically 20% to hold that. So if you stake it, um, you put your money in the anchor protocol, it's called, you're basically earning 20%. It went down to 19.5 and now it might have gone down to 18 or something. I've forgotten the numbers, but there was a plan for it to slowly start going down. And that has been a huge kind of reason people have been holding that instead of, um, you know, putting it somewhere else or keeping it in their bank account. So I don't so have to answer your question. Stablecoin yeah, is important because if you want to operate in the crypto economy uh, and you're a fairly new user, or even if you're a veteran user, you don't want this crazy volatility, right? You need something where you can trust and make decisions, uh, believing that you know one dollar equals one dollar, exactly. one chair equals one chair. Okay. So what I'd add to that is a second thing: is the decentralization aspect is very important, right? Of the pitch, like uh, a lot of these crypto uh, evangelists and people that truly believe in the decentralization power of crypto, like a decentralized stablecoin like Terra is, UST, uh, is particularly important because it's the ethos of decentralization, right? Whereas Tether and USDC, they're run by centralized organizations. So you have that uh, a bottleneck and potential weak point. Having And the other related point to that, and it goes out to Jack's joke of over-collateralization, is that when you are trying to maintain a peg, to give confidence to the world that you can, you do have to kind of over collateralize. So you might have, let's say the, the entire asset base of uh, your stablecoin was $10 billion. I think uh, Terra is 18 billion. Uh, but if, for people to believe that, you might get way more than 10 billion because oh, it's such a confidence game, right? And that makes it quote unquote less efficient. So I'd say those two things. So yeah. Terra is supposed to be quote unquote decentralized. And then by being an automatic, uh, oh, what was it? Algorithmic stablecoin. Yeah, it is truly decentralized, right? It runs on a, uh, it runs on a protocol, runs on a, a, a coding program. Okay, but so, the thing is, so just to clarify though, yeah. on the algorithmic part, so th again, th there's kind of debate as to if DAI, the maker, which was kind of the original one in this space, they are definitely decentralized. Yeah. Um, so they're not like Circles, USDC, or Tether. Um, but they are also, you. from my understanding, that's also collateralized though. Again, I could be completely wrong on this, but sure. so you can be both decentralized okay. and collateralized. And, well, and like yeah. you said, it's a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and then so the I mean, other thing I'd say is the, the closest thing to this is back in the day, we had the gold standard for the, for the dollar, you yeah. know, sterling had silver. And you could argue now because we don't have that, you know, the dollar is not collateralized, right? In the same way uh, sure. it was in the past, you could argue it is through other means but anyway back to what you're saying so what i want to add was this and you brought up such a good point so for the listeners now we've got to points like okay what is actually the value of ust right and this goes back to something we talked about was it last week with sbf uh, talking to the bloomberg people yeah he basically was describing the magic box situation terra really is specifically making the world believe that this thing is worth something so there's this where the Ponzi nomics comes into play, right? You mentioned a 20% yield. So I actually listened to a podcast, I can't remember who's on it, but they're explaining, if you think about that yield is actually a marketing expense, right? Because they're trying to pull people into the Was, was it NIA? I think we talked about that yeah. as well. Yeah. I, it wasn't NIA, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so there is Ponzi nomics to it, but as with many of these crypto things we've talked about, you have to kind of Ponzi your way into mindshare and value and then start building the other ecosystem around it. We talk about Axie Infinity all the time, right? It's like Ponzi-nomics, but can they build a real world, a real game out of it? So what Terra is doing is they're trapping everybody to Luna and UST. The yield is a big part of it. 
but they're offering other items, right? Don't they have something? So they're offering, obviously, the DeFi protocol uh, anchor. They're offering uh, something called Mirror. What does Mirror do? It's an ecosystem. I don't know enough. Things. Yeah, they've got lots of different parts of it. I don't they know all the ecosystem. details. So they're trying to pull people into the ecosystem and prove that they have value around it. But the atomic unit, what they're trying to do really is, in a way, a Ponzi scheme. They are getting everybody to believe that there's value in this stable coin and they're offering a big yield to make it happen. The Bitcoin piece is very interesting. And Bilal's the one that brought it up a few weeks ago. So they actually went out and Doquan, the founder of Terra, said, we're going to buy $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. And now what he's effectively doing is kind of seeing the algorithmic, uh, the algorithmic portion of the stablecoin, that's probably not enough to be the long run solution. We're getting something hard, right? So they're collateralizing it with Bitcoin. And as this peg broke yesterday, they lent out $750 billion in Bitcoin. And why they lent it out was they're lending it to people to buy into their ecosystem. So obviously a lot of like, you know, self-dealing and circling, and it's called circle jerk if you want, but like a lot of that going on to try to keep the confidence in the asset class. The last thing I'll add here, because I love also Jack's take on this, is uh, this is Doquan's, we joked about it, Doquan's two tweets as everything was blowing up. Yesterday, he, he tweets, deploying more capital, steady lads. That's so and then funny. Today, this morning, he goes, <laughs> close to announcing a recovery plan for UST, hang tight. Uh, and then he says, I didn't mean to be so quiet, staying laser focused. So the thing I'd add, last thing I'd add is this. Laos said it's at around 90 cents at the time of this. The whole thing could collapse by tomorrow, to be honest, because these things go to death spirals. Uh, yeah, it's already been so much money withdrawn from the yeah. Anchor Protocol. And there's an argument to say that the people who are waiting are basically waiting for it to go closer to $1 as possible and then withdraw. Exactly. Um, but there's a risk for them because if they basically take that out and send it to Binance, like right now I was reading Binance, they had paused or, you know, you can't do trades on it or something like that. So okay. you're kind of like screwed either way by this point. 100%. Well, look, Jack, what was your take on this? What is your perception? Because we've just been verbal spieling here. I think you guys got all of it. My only, my only addition, I think the... Basically, the big arbitrage opportunity for somebody building an ecosystem like that is like if you have that amount of capital, I think I think the bet is like your investment in the ecosystem at large is going to be big enough to it's kind of like the Elon thing, right? It's like the ability where you buy $10 billion of an asset, you make so much noise that that asset appreciates in value more than the 10 billion or a hundred billion that you deployed because the noise that comes from your purchase. And then that's like creates a tailwind for you to make this thing off the back of, but maybe I'm being, um, uh, reductive, but like all of the algorithmic and like all of those like buzzwords that are layered in there, it's like, again, it feels like you're overcomplicating the idea of like, there's more money in the system than, than is coming out or vice versa. Like if that scale tips and you don't have the resources to either like persuade and in this world, like persuasion is all, it seems to be all downstream of capital deployment, right? It's like, if you have those, if you have the ammunition to, to, change the attitude of the market, then you can defend the peg of your, uh, of your coin or your protocol. If you don't, then you can. And like Bilal said, 
how much trust has been eroded and how, how many people are just supporting the narrative up to the point they can exit because they've now seen like the, the risk that comes with that. Right. But I think it's, it's like more of a, it's more of a like physics equation at this point, right? It's like, does this, does this exist or not? Like, does the, does the collateral exist or not? It seems like everybody's in agreement that it doesn't because it's not at a dollar. Right. But there's some, level of hope being held out that it can be defended. But I think the entire market has like the entire sentiment of the market has to change for it to get back up there. So I, again, I might be a complete rube here and like reading the, like trying to come up with a plan to defend the UST other than like, Hey, we've got a hundred billion dollars that we're going to like put into this thing. I don't know what any other plan is, right? Yeah. Like, you can write another tweet. Hang, ste hang steady. Yeah, he wrote the last yeah. thing he wrote was like you said, it was close to announcing a recovery plan for UST. Hang tight. That was four hours ago of recording this. Didn't mean to be so quiet. Need razor focus to deliver. Thanks everyone for the support. It's been quite interesting to see. I mean, there's a few accounts I, I follow that I know. I think, Jack, you shared Root to FI, which is financial independence. Have you yeah, seen yeah, some yeah. of his friends? Trunk, you might follow him as well. Actually, really good, right? He does a good job of like showing very detailed stuff, especially in crypto. And he wrote a whole thread basically saying like, sorry, because I've shared, you know, obviously we always say do your own research, et cetera. But he felt bad because he had like been pushing their stuff in the past. I think genuinely like he was sharing something he found that he thought was, you know, useful. The same way, um, you know, Rao Powell, whatever has been talking about ETH for the last six months and it's been dropping like, you know, uh, like anything. So... I, I don't think he was like necessarily in the wrong or anything, but it was quite interesting to see even people like him and other people I follow um, kind of being like, wow, this is a really big deal because it has happened before, um, but not at this scale. Like it's so much bigger this time and because of how much it has an impact on all the rest of uh, DeFi. And obviously there's so many people getting liquidated. That's I was, I was reading some of the comments, people saying it went down to 29, I was holding till 30, 29 is where I got liquidated. And then it has all this knock-on effect on all the other positions you're holding. So yeah, this is definitely bubble goes pop sort of moment. Um, but yeah, anything else, uh, Trung or Jack? I know Trung's I'll, I'll been listening to the pods on this. Yeah, we, it's, it's worth uh, bringing this point up. Uh, I think Jack makes such a great point. I looked into trying to figure out what this algorithm was. It had to do with burning Luna or creating Luna based on what the US, what the dollar was at uh, relative to Terra and how Terra was moving. So a lot of, like you said, black magic going on behind the uh, scenes. And to Jack's point, at the end of the day, do you have collateral or not? Because the collective belief can make everything disappear, right? Uh, we've talked about this a lot. And uh, so to Terra's credit, uh, UST has been about a year and a bit. They've gone through choppy battles. This is by far the biggest battle it's been in. And, and people are seeing the redeemability of UST is not $1 for the longest period has dropped to 60 cents which is incredibly uh, 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 difficult to stomach if you're in that ecosystem. But having said that, they're at 90 cents now. Uh, Bilal said, you know, maybe some people are trying to get that final bag, right? P potentially. But uh, it, it seems like it's in a lot of people's interest, including CZ at Binance and the Binance team, because they're, they're obviously involved in this. There may be some quote-unquote self-dealing, I don't know. But the, the collective belief is such an important part and what makes it with all these, anything in the future, whenever you hear algorithmic stablecoin, realize 
It's not going to be collateralized. That is the entire point of it. If they're saying that they can do it without the collateral because it makes it more efficient. But the problem is this. It's such a massive assumption. And right now, if all you're depending on is demand, which is based on belief, right? So demand based on belief or a 20% yield, which is the other part of it. If that demand goes, it's game over, right? So there's a couple of ways you can lose demand. It's not just the yield. Malawi said the yield might be dropping already, maybe 18, 19. Yeah, they, they had it like, you know, transparently shown that over time it'll go yeah. from 20 to 15 down to six or something like no, that over several years. The yield is not going to be enough to pull people into the ecosystem anymore. So again, if we, if we take the yield as a marketing expense, they're going to have to start doing things to keep people within the ecosystem. Why am I going to keep UST? Can I spend it? Can I invest it? Right? So, so doing all these things, they're trying. trying right? they're so, sorry to, the only thing I'll say, and this is referencing our boy Mario from The Generalist, he did a long, deep piece yeah. on this. And the one thing I remember was saying that this is their kind of several year roadmap to get them time to basically sell through the yeah. other benefits, what you're mentioning. And one of the examples I always shared, probably on this pod, was they had convinced the equivalent of like Disneyland in Korea and Nike and others to be using their version of the dollar or their stable coin and they're you know the local currency version uh, because the fees were for, were better for the merchant so that was already like okay utility there's a reason for you to use this over the fiat money so that could be a legitimate plan right like yeah. you know bring people in invest and then we'll get people ramped up on that side and then people just using it you know so that i don't think that's necessarily incredible, like a plan to rug yeah, yeah completely incredible business model i think yeah not, not credible in the sense that oh be a ponzi scheme but like Jack said it. Elon deployed this essentially, right, to make Tesla happen. He was a, he created collective belief and was able to tap equity markets for it and had cheap uh, cost of capital to basically drag Tesla into existence. Now, Doquan is not Elon Musk, so that's the problem here, right? And and, and Terra hasn't been around as well. It's tough, man. We talk about this all the time. It's a meme. If Doquan pulls this off and survives this, it just strengthens his meme, right? Like that's the other part of it. If a week from now we talk about, oh, UST is back at a dollar. Well, now people are like, wow, it survived a near death blow. Maybe this is a stable coin that we can believe and trust that can find its way to this so-called algorithmic decentralization. I mean, this is a huge test. You survive these tests, right? Elon in 2018 was sleeping at the factory. That's part of the myth of Elon and Tesla. And he pulled through it. Talks about yeah. it all the time. It's the hardest part of my life ever. 100 hours a week, sleeping at the factory. I mean, these are the type of challenges that you build myths around. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's fascinating, man, because so much of it is everything we talk about, memes, collective beliefs, and like it's all being tested in front of our eyes and he's tweeting out steady lands. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Well, one question I was going to ask you guys, what you just said there, Trunk, I completely agree, but you, I think you said something along the lines of everything's based on belief in this case and the collective belief. I'm just thinking out loud here, but how is that different to Bitcoin in this case? Well, it's just Bitcoin, on a you know longer no, trajectory. No, no, it's been around for longer. But I, yeah. You're 100% right. Uh, well, it's the stuff we talk about. Bitcoin has has gone too big to fail, in my opinion. It, it, it now it has its its uh, tentacles are in too many places with asset managers, uh, even just real finance and just individuals. Right? It's like we talked about. With, hundreds of times on the show, there are 10,000 people in the world right now that would sell their family for Bitcoin. That is the price floor, right? Legitimately, that is the price floor for Bitcoin. Yeah, that's true. There's no, there is not that for UST. Doquan might do it, but he's one guy. Maybe his inner circle, but there's just not, I think that's the difference is 
yeah, yeah. So the, the print, it's just it's, it's further along the line, but the, the principle itself is is similar in terms of it's still based on a collective belief, like but the Tara way money is. I think you pointed out though, Terra is trying to use that same. He's pulling. Gokuan is trying to pull reality towards him or this future he wants by offering, like you said, maybe working with Disneyland or the equivalent in Tokyo, uh, uh, in Korea, working with Nike. He's gonna try to make utility out of the Terra ecosystem. But first, he really is just offering essentially what is a Ponzi scheme. Like the 20% yield is coming out of like their, their raise for the Luna, right? Like how it all launched. And 50% of that money has gone to insiders and VCs. That's in the criticism of Luna. Mm, yeah. But I mean, he, if he can pull it off and he can survive this, it's very interesting what happens. Definitely. Jack, anything else from you, mate? Thanks, Strong. That was a great Stay analysis. Stay tuned to Not Investment Advice for the, uh, <laughs> the Doquan updates. <laughs> Got to get him on the show, man. I mean, uh, I think he's a little yeah, busy right now. But um, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely would be a good guest. All right. Well, listen, let us know what you think of that because um, it's it's a moving target, as we said. By tomorrow morning, by the time this comes out, it might be game over. Who knows? Or he might be the savior of yeah. his little pocket of the internet. So uh, it'll be wait, interesting to see. Do you use or interface with Terra or Luna? I, I've all, I, I haven't used Anchor, but I have had Terra and I've sold it uh, in the past. Yeah, so I have. What, you still you got some? I don't know. I'm looking right now. You're riding, are you riding out, mate? You ride or die uh, on this one? Yeah, I think I got... This, I was just playing around with Anchor when it first came out. So like a nominal amount just to try and figure out how, how it all works. But um, yeah nothing uh nothing crazy but at the same time the 20 percent yield you know unfortunately the cliche if it sounds too good to be true it probably is yeah there was definitely <laughs> some of that tingling back there you know there was a yeah. great meme ramp shared yesterday where um did you see did you guys see that where there's a guy on tiktok who's like i'm uh, oh, yeah. i'm buying this house in florida this is a down payment this. and then this is what i need to put in the anchor protocol to for the yield to pay the mortgage every month mental obviously a very high risk strategy as it was but the other thing i think this doesn't take into account is like that yield is um you know what we've already covered it i'm not going to go there it's like that's dependent on this protocol existing into the 30 years of the future of of the uh, responsibility that you just signed up for, which is obviously yeah. Yeah. a long bet. Completely. Yeah, and, well, I, and this, yeah. this is old school, you know, just what we look for when you open a bank account in America anyway, and the UK, you get, what is it, FDIC yeah, insurance? FDIC there you go, Trung, like, Trung uh, loves it. Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Milwaukee Bucks superstar, I think he has 250k in 90 different bank accounts. That's I hilarious. That's, yeah. he, I like, hope his wealth manager did I that. He's charging that him four percent a year. I want all that insured. <laughs> yeah, I mean wow. that's what you what you don't get in a lot of these things. So I mean, ultimately, people go into it knowing the risks, but the risks don't feel like any risks in a bull market. Now we're finally at the bear market, which we talked about on the show, you know, when I was FUD Bilal for a bit, this is basically, yeah. we're really there now. We're 50% uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, 50% uh, of what their highs were pretty much. Um, 
And so, as uh, Jack just mentioned there, you know, we're basically going to transition now into what is going on in the wider space because there's a tech meltdown happening. And you said uh, the the connected tissue here is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so, the last 10 years, the last 12 years or whatever it's been of this bull run has been you know, insane growth for everyone. Everything looks good up and to the right. You pick any stock and you're like, oh, I'm a genius because I've obviously there's going to be e-commerce in the world. So I bought Shopify and then you think you're a genius. I'm, put, I'm talking about myself. Yeah. So, so uh-huh. like, and then we find out that interest rates play a thing and it's a bit too late by the time it hits you. So, yeah, go on. Tell yeah. us, you were in the early phases and you were, what was the feeling inside Google? When well, you I will it? say that there is a part of me, like to break it down into two parts. One is, do I believe in this company? And then the second is, is the price right? So the first part is a lot easier because you can look at the market, you can, especially being inside, I can see stuff other people aren't seeing yet, or I'm hearing, you know, the the conversation we mentioned in the past, the CMO of a public company saying, we believe in the internet into not not the internet or something along those lines and so to me that was a signal to say oh there's going to be lots of money coming down the road it's not and then you'd look at the landscape and you see the percentage of money that goes into ads and now you can say the same for cloud like Drucker Miller said which we're going to talk about in a second right so the, all that is on one part but the part I didn't know anything about and pretty much don't still is the other side, which is the macro side and what happens when interest rates goes goes up. What are 10-year treasury bonds? What? How does that have an impact on everything? What is inflation as impact on everything like that? And it's really annoying, but the boring answer is probably the best thing to do is just buy every month, buy the boring S&P 500, and you're probably going to, you can focus on creating stuff, making money, and living life with your family. And uh, the rest of it is kind of a distraction. So, um, but I will say the last thing on the Google side, I, I did think you have an unfair advantage because you're seeing stuff that other people aren't. Right. So, you know, so you're still seeing, like I said, those conversations or when I was in Google, I could hear, you know, the big L'Oreal team or one of those, you know, big CPG brands saying, oh, we just lost a pitch to Facebook for 50 million. And in my head, I'm like, oh, okay, that that I didn't hear that two years ago. So that gives me a signal that other people might not hear. Did you ever buy Facebook? Yeah, I had Facebook. I still have Facebook now, yeah. Oh, snap. So you were yeah. picking up Facebook like as your shift is happening. Yeah, because I could see. I was like, these guys have the best advertising. They have really good advertising, whatever. And the, it was a hedge. So I would sell some Google and then buy Facebook, Amazon. And that was kind of the spread a little bit. Algorithmic trading right there. Algorithmic trading, exactly, <laughs> yeah. So just to tee you up, Trung, because you've been writing about this, um, and you know the the wider angle here is yeah here we go here's a here's a tweet so i'll just tee it Absolutely up the insane tweet go ahead so nasdaq damage more than 45 percent of stocks are down 50 percent more than 22 percent of stocks are down 75 percent more than five percent of stocks are down 90 percent and this is obviously just in the nasdaq but just to put that in perspective one in 20 companies in nasdaq has has gone down 90 percent that shitcoin level of yeah you know, decline. So yeah, over to you, but like, what the hell is going on here? So those numbers you just said, the only time it's been comparable from the tweet from uh, Jason Goldberg, who is a financial analyst, uh, is uh, .com. So October 2000, October 2002, and the financial crisis, uh, November 2008 to April 2009. So 
Do you know Trump likes to squeeze juice out of the Stanley Jack and Miller interview he did last May? <laughs> I am, a year later, I'm still trying to squeeze as much juice as possible out of that well, interview. So, yeah, he was right. That's why. So you got to bring it up, well, man. I mean, literally, shockingly, one of the greatest investors ever, right? This guy uh, broke the Bank of England, which is actually, we could, we could, we could talk about it. With Soros, right? So for people yeah, who don't know, Jack and Miller. He broke the Bank of England while working at Quantum Fund with George Soros. Uh, that's actually quite similar uh, or comparable parallels to what's happening with uh, Doquan, uh, Terra, and the UST. Uh, whenever you have a peg, people try to attack it to see how much, you know, like we talked about. The, the, the Bank of England had a, well, had a, a, a European exchange mechanism, a rate mechanism with the continent, and they said, we're going to make sure that all our currencies, you know, in line with their currencies, uh, like Germany's, particularly the Deutsche Bank. But, um, Anyways, the reason why I bring up that interview was he said a year ago, this is what he said. And he wasn't just me. He was going on a bit of a media tour because he's like, this is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life, what the, what the Fed was doing. So this was May 2021 when I spoke with him. A couple months earlier, he had written an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And he said, for the U.S. government to be continuing to do pandemic relief when basically everything is back on trend line, jobs, uh, uh the supply chain, uh, producers, uh, and, and, and corporate spending, but they're all the kind of back to pre-pandemic. The Fed was still pumping money in. He's like, this is going to end badly. And this is going to end very badly. Uh, he said that uh, the, a lot of people thought it, but he said it really straight. He's like, yeah, rate hikes are coming for sure. It's the biggest threat to the market. And then I asked him, okay, in May, 2021, and this is when, you know, a lot of these names we've all become accustomed to. A lot mention one of them, Shopify, probably Zoom, probably stuff like DocuSign, uh, even like Salesforce, like a long established SaaS company. Um, these companies have all gone back to pre-pandemic prices. So Jockey Miller's whole framing was, well, if you look at .com versus today, you know, what are the similarities? It was a ton of monetary expansion, but you can't even compare what was going on then versus now in the late 90s. They, you guys want to know what the interest rate in the late 90s was when they when they cut it? It was a 4 to 5%. So we're at 0% now. That means the Fed has no more tools to combat like falling asset prices. But um, that was a similarity. So uh, let, let me throw back to you guys quickly with this is, when, when you hear that a company like Shopify or Peloton or Zoom, not only have they given out their pandemic gains, they're below what they were before the pandemic. Isn't that crazy to you? That, yeah, that's what. Yeah, this, it, yeah, it does. Well, the same way when we're in a global pandemic and the stock market hits all time highs, eventually after a few months, obviously not in the, the first month in March, that also didn't make any sense to me. So now I've just learned that the stock market <laughs> and the economy aren't always hand in hand. Though right now it feels kind of close because we're halfway into recession pretty much, right? Like we had negative GDP growth. And uh, it's, you know, we're actually hitting this huge correction or we've hit the huge correction, could get a lot worse. Um, yeah, so uh, that's, I, I do think it's kind of coming around. Um, Jack, what about you, mate? Anything else for you to add? I don't really pay attention to it. I've, yeah. I've tuned out, you know, ever since we, uh, we talked about like, I'm going to stop looking at this stuff. I haven't looked at it. So well, you, you got a discipline a little mate. bit it's a little bit you know i hear rumblings of it but i just 
I'm not sorry to bring it up to on a podcast every it. week. <laughs> no, no, it's I like it. I d- my um a couple of the apps I used to use, like my I change phones and I'm logged out of them, so I'm just I can't even get into them. Oh, that's so I just don't even look. That's the move. Your putting your password in, right? like, do you I don't even look, mate. The only thing I look at is the Shopify dashboard, boys. There we go. Back um, to building, time to build. Indeed. All right, so that's a similarity, a little bit of a Lynn and his exuberance. So there was, you know, investment in equity market exuberance, obviously in crypto, NFTs, everything, because of how much money was pumped in uh, for the pandemic. But then a little silver lining for our listeners that might have some of these SaaS and cloud-based stocks. So Duncan Miller says, okay, at the late 90s, some of the biggest winners in that period were laying the foundation for the internet infrastructure, right? So Cisco System, a networking company, Sun Microsystem, the same. Cisco actually became the world's most valuable company in March 2000. It had a market cap of 500, I think 20 or 30 billion, and it dethroned Microsoft. So wait, wait, did you say, point, was it 500 or? 520 yeah. billion. Cisco. Oh, 520, yeah, yeah. So insane, right? And, and, and That's ridiculous, okay. yeah. It's ridiculous. So Jockey Miller's point was, if you're an infrastructure internet company and you're building out the guts of the internet, it, he compared it to the 1850s when you're building the railways. There's only so much track you can build, right? And once you're done building that track, there's no more hyper growth. It's like the, the market has been saturated. So obviously there are other dot-com era companies that have survived, uh, Netflix, Amazon, eBay being three of them. But again, Cisco was the most valuable company in the world at one point. The biggest winners, you could argue, were these infrastructure companies. So he's like, here's the difference with 2021, which is when I spoke with him. If you have a re-rating of these SaaS and cloud stocks, which has happened, so the Bessemer Venture Partners Cloud Index, which is closely watched, has a lot of these cloud companies that we talked about, Adobe, Salesforce, uh, uh, Zoom, DocuSign, uh, all those kind of companies. The four 12-month revenue, or sorry, four multiple on revenue has gone from 15 times to seven times. So it's been repriced. People are no longer paying these crazy uh, revenue multiples. Um, but then, and then his larger point was, it's still very early for cloud adoption. I'll throw it back to you guys on this point, but he's like, my gut, he's like, it's still like a couple second or third inning cloud adoption. Uh, a lot of it got pulled forward by the pandemic, but I mean, you, I have a quote here that I, I pulled and I saw from Google's cloud CTO, uh, Will Granis. So the guy's talking his own book here, but he says that he thinks cloud adoption as part of enterprise into IT spending is only 15% at a max. And he says 20 to 30% of workflows are moved to the cloud. That's it. So we're, to his point, still second or third ending. And I, I largely buy that. I think there's so much enterprise spending left, so much movement to the cloud left to be done. That Drucky Miller's point is the markets for internet infrastructure fully saturated. These crazy cloud names and a lot that we touched on just now is like, Man, it'd be hard pressed for me to say in four or five years that they're not, they're down hard, but you know, are they reasonably within the, 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 the range to fill the valuations that they were six months ago? I would say yes, not investment advice. But yeah, and I agree, I agree with that as well. But I guess the question comes back to what I was saying before, which was um, the two parts to it. One is, if, is this a growing company, growing industry versus the price? Right? And you mentioned the multiple downgrade there. And a lot of that from my understanding is 
due to just growth, you know, basically people aren't willing to pay the same as they were for growth stocks or the multiple and they're repriced because there's other alternatives that are more attractive, right, that are safer, especially, you know, the big, really massive funds who would rather just put money into something safe because they don't need to get, uh, you know, 20% returns. They just need to make sure they're preserving the billions and billions of dollars they're kind of preserving. So I guess the question is, even if those companies do become, you know, continue growing, become super valuable as as we all think they probably will be, do we go back to that valuation in the future? And uh, my hope is yes, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? But given yeah, like how it's happened anyway. before, like, yeah, it's just do they have the tailwind? That's it. I can't say what that valuation was. Clearly, they got way ahead of their skis, and uh, this question is probably very legitimate. But uh, yeah, I think that is a big difference with .com. Um, although the .com argument you could make also was like internet penetration is so low at the beginning of .com. But if, if you're not, yeah. if you're only talking about the infrastructure companies, then Drucken Miller's argument is very sound. If you're talking about the things that layered on top, which he didn't discuss, so I'm not assigning whether or not he he made an assessment of those. And he famously lost like three billion dollars in six weeks. So he he talked about how he got totally clapped during .com. How's his uh, Bitcoin uh, bet going? Do you know? He, uh, did, he bought it at 12 and unloaded at 30. That's what he oh, said. Oh, wow. Okay. All yeah. right. So he, he did it right. The, his heart was never in it is what he said. He's not getting the diamond hands um, yeah. name tag at McDonald's anytime soon. Read from uh, uh, Nathan Vasquez of Every. Um, he talks about how basically this tech meltdown, because tech, when you melt down in the public market, it starts trickling down everywhere, right? Because all the venture rounds, they follow, it's a leg because the seed round will follow the A round, the B, the CD. So if there's no exit liquidity for these uh, series FG kind of uh, or pre-IPO companies, everything starts rolling backwards. So apparently the you know, series B, C, D uh, funding has really cooled or, or term sheets are not as generous as they used to be. We've seen a ton of mass layoffs, right? Robin Hood, uh, this, this memo from Uber CEO uh, that, uh, that my, my college friend, uh, Deidre Boza, was able to get her hands on, uh, says that they will now focus on free cash flow. That's what Uber's CEO said. And uh, they're gonna cut non-essential marketing spend. So there's a lot of, Facebook is on hiring freeze. So things like that, right? It's all trickling down, man. Wild. Yeah, man. What and is non-essential marketing spend? Probably like uh, crypto related, <laughs> web related podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, that's unfortunate. Guys, well, you guys are both in the marketing space. If, if, uh, if Uber CEO uh, goes to your agencies, like we're cutting non-essential marketing spend, what is the waterfall that's getting cut? Well, I just think it cut, like, I guess brand marketing is where you sacrifice your dollars, right? Yeah. The longer term brand building stuff. And you just focus on like the performance response, like what, how much does it cost to get a person in the car? What's the strategy and the tactic to do that? Put all the money you're willing to spend behind that versus like talking about Uber being like the, you know, shepherd of humanity into the greatest <laughs> era of all time, whatever. But no, no more like an Uber sponsored Netflix series starring Beyonce. Like that's out, right? I would imagine that's they're going to slow down on that stuff. Yeah. But and, and Trung, actually, to that point, in 2000, 
January 2010 when I started at Google that we were still on the tail end of the recession. So I remember those conversations were still happening where it took like a year and a half a lot of the time for people to cut their budgets anyway. Um, And they were starting to just warm up again. And so back then even there was a similar kind of, even internally we basically, we had to like reframe all the pitches and make it like, Everything is about ROI. Everything we we have an actual advantage at that time because no one else was really showing you what your ROI was on your you know return on investment on your spend. So all the TV budgets, billboards, outdoor trains, all that stuff, they're just like, hey, get a hundred million impressions, and we're like, here's a hundred million impressions plus. We ran it for a month, and this is the amount of sales it drove, etc. So I think there's actually normally a general like evolution of that happening anyway like after a while it gets quite frothy like we just had these massive you know web3 crypto brand ads for super bowl right like we did a whole episode on those that with larry the david end. and you know, the good old the days that's covid at top um so i think i'm not to say that you know people aren't going to cut their super bowl ads completely but there's normally um but it's normally like that's the sort of stuff that often gets sacrificed in my experience as well. And, and a lot of the time those things go on sale. So they start, the arbitrage happens. So those companies start buying it again and they actually uh, are worthwhile investing in as well. So um, the one thing I was also going to share is uh, I'm just going to share my screen for one second here. This is from our old pal, Rao Pal. Rao Powell, if I'm saying his name right. This is kind of wrapping up what we were discussing here. This is on S&P 500. But he said, macro update, the SPX, which is S&P 500, right, is now very close to pricing in a near immediate recession. Uh, below is 47 in signal, usually expect growth to collapse. And then he, he kind of has a whole thread. I can share this in the show notes. Um, showing some like technical stuff on charts that I don't fully understand. But essentially... You know, I, I, it looks like we're we're very much within recession territory by this point. Fud Bilal, vindicated. Yeah, just real, real Bilal, keeping it real. Don't you want to know what's crazy? We <laughs> had this conversation. Yeah. You and Jack, I remember this distinctly. It was well, probably last May when Bilal was like, what happens when the shit hits the fan? And oh my goodness, has it come fast and furious. It yeah, is my, wild, my, I can't fast. remember when it was. Yeah, was it May or maybe a little bit later? But I remember because, it, and to be fair, again, it's much easier just to talk about it because I could sense it's coming at some point, like everyone else, like that old saying of, um, you know, economists are always right for 10 years or whatever because they're always predicting a recession. And so uh, I've messed up that quote completely, but you know, the sentiment well, I'm they, saying. They predicted 15 of the last 10 recessions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, but again, I mean, just being completely honest, I don't really change anything. You know, I basically like yeah. didn't sell. I didn't really cash out anything. But I did look at it and say, is there anything here I don't believe in long term? If so, I need to like sell it or at least try to sell it. And most of my stuff is basically S&P 500, Ethereum and Bitcoin. So it's pretty, pretty basic. Well, let me, uh, let me put something out that uh, I think uh, you alluded to uh, so Sri Ram Krishnan from Andreessen has been tweeting out uh, since uh, for a while now. Every time that he's seen a, uh, a, a headline from the NYT or one of the mainstream medias asking when is the crash coming. So, <laughs> so well, yeah, I mean, it's the point where we've been thinking about it for a decade, right? Here's 2011. 
Uh, tech firm workers sell shares, fearing a bubble will burst. 2012, disruption looking beyond Silicon Valley's bubble. 2013, in Silicon Valley, partying like it's 1999 once more. And then same headlines all the way through 2018, uh, when the bubble burst, considered the anti-bubble stocks. Like, it, it's such a great point. It's, we've been talking about this for a decade and it never came, right? So, obviously, it was the greatest monetary experiment ever, what happened after 2008 uh, with the Fed. And they literally turned the dial to 11 with the pandemic. Man, I think we're going to be in for a, a while of pain, man. Uh, what I'm hoping is yes. Let me circle back to Druckenmiller's point about Cisco, Sun Microsystem, and the internet infrastructure companies. S Cisco never touched 505 billion or even anything close. It's a 200 billion dollar company now, so it's lost. And that's inflation. I bet you did inflation adjusted. It's probably under 100 billion, so that's lost 80 to 90 percent of its value. Um, I'm hoping these stock, these SaaS stocks come back because I have a lot of them. That's all I got to say. A little snowflake in there, trunk. Oh, I don't have snowflake. Thank goodness, man. Um. All right. So I, I think everyone gets the idea here. So we're we're not in a great place, but there's lots of memes to keep us entertained and uh, <laughs> to move us on to happier topics. People dumping NFTs. Jack Butcher, what's going on? That was a, a nice transition there. All right. What is going on, Troy? I, I think, uh, Jack, you shared a, a thread with us, which was kind of alluding to this, to this point. And just to place this for people, we talked about crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, 50% less, Terra crashing. A slight widening of that is the wider stock market and a recession. NFTs are the far end of the kind of, you know, growth world like high speculation, speculation. world exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. so what, what's going on in that world mate can you screw it can you pull up that thread on the screen share? yeah let me just do that here. props to uh this man the farmer <laughs> big Wait, in the board ape ecosystem know? actually bought one of my board apes the oh what a legend there we go yeah this guy's can you see it yeah great yeah. Uh, oh, so it was from first, the top, let's go yeah. to the top tweet. One sec. So I think this is more of a commentary on the culture of like shaming people for selling, you know, like okay. the mm. idea. And I, I don't even think this was specific to NFTs, his commentary, but um, we'll go on and talk about that. But posting screenshots and sell shaming people that are folding at a loss is toxic counterproductive has no upside you have no idea why anyone's doing it maybe they need the money or maybe they did get spooked blah 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 and he goes on to talk about the psychology of the market and then at the very end i think this was a piece i really wanted to share was Papa Farmer has been yelling at you to always have dry powder for months and you're seeing exactly why that matters right now. Some of the conviction buys that will happen whenever we finally capitulate is what will create the legends of the next cycle. So I think people who have been through, you know, one, two, or I don't even know how many it is now, three, like legit downward cycles in crypto, probably yeah. two really significant ones have like are really familiar with the cyclical nature of this right and obviously as we all know the old trusted saying buy when there's blood in the streets right buy when there's fud in Bilal's tweets <laughs> but, Wait, yeah. I, I, I want to add one thing my i was corrected by a hedge fund friend of mine he said the full line from uh, uh, Rothschild was buy if there's blood in the street, including your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. Not the ticket, that's right? great. Wow. It's not just 
it's not it's one thing to buy if you can sit on powder but if you are taking an l yourself and you have the courage to go back in i'm not saying i'm doing that because i am not doing that right now but i just wanted to add that yeah yeah well i think let's go like more extreme philosophically on like all of this stuff is all of this stuff that trades at a multiple i think there's a morgan housel quote that says this like the most eloquently i've ever heard it said which is valuation is a number today multiplied by a story about tomorrow it's just it's phenomenal he's, he's right? that's brilliant amazing writer uh, yeah is that, is that from his book morgan, or just like a tweet uh, or something i don't know i think it might be one of his old blog posts nice um but maybe in his book too but anybody who hasn't who isn't reading morgan housel like for 99% of people, Morgan yeah. Housel's like guidance on money is a thing that you should read and just do that. That is investment advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For yeah, the first exactly. time on this podcast. Yeah. But anyway, amazing writer. But the idea that um, every single business asset th uh, thing that you're able to like put capital against and speculate on has all of these contingencies that run into the future. And we talked about like six months ago, the things that are very, very unlikely to uh, become useless overnight are the things that grow slower, but generate a return more consistently, which we call, you know, Trung did a really eloquent breakdown of value stocks versus growth stocks. I think maybe we even plug that in the description because that's great context too. And that explains the like Berkshire Hathaway, ARK investment, you know, death cross that we, I think we brought it up last week. Flipping. Yeah, the flipping, just the, the, t the hair and the tortoise, right? I think, but outside of that, all of these like cycles and trends do tend to bring like higher highs over time, right? Like the, the things that technology unlocks with time are just, you know, things that will exist in 10 years that don't exist now that we could never ever see coming in the same way that if we rewound, rewound the clock 10 years today and what, there's another great list somewhere. It's like that before the financial crisis, the, iPhone didn't exist. Spotify didn't exist. Uber didn't exist. All of these like things that are now, that now make up a massive part of our lives. Um, and questioning like how those things are valued. Don't think we'll ever have an answer for that, but it's more of a like, you know, the, the collective psychology people are shitting themselves right now. And that reflects in everything with a higher degree of speculation for the mo outside of, I think even some like crypto, sorry, NFTs to me have held up way better than I thought they would during what's happening right now. Like any one outside of that ecosystem, I would imagine would say that's all going to like 10 cents, right? There's no way with what's like the world is collapsing around you that you're hanging on to this uh, JPEG that has, you know, that's worth a couple hundred grand, even if you could sell that at like a decent, even if you could sell that at two, three, four X, you, you would take it in a condition like this. And that's just not proven to be true. Like if you look at some of the high end projects in NFT market, people are still hanging on to that stuff. So well, what's the to me, floor? Like, you showed the, uh, the floor price for boards. Board apes now are, they're, they're over a hundred right now, I think. 
obviously so Ethereum is grand not what or it was. ETH, you're saying? 100 ETH. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Oh. So it's, that's still that's still pushing like a quarter mil. Yeah, 100.5. So 230 mm. grand. So what you're saying is like, if you were, if you're looking at the whole picture, you're like, this should be way lower, like relative to everything. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I think the, I think, that ecosystem is starting to like isolate itself. It is starting to decouple in some ways more. So obviously the crypto assets that are way more connected to institutions follow the behaviors of the traditional right. markets, the public markets, because everyone moving size is reallocating from across the board versus like you're not J, jp morgan is not like buying board apes right so there's <laughs> not yet jack or maybe not they jack. Are. i think some people working at jp morgan definitely are yeah. that's for sure like there's actually a few i think there's two lads from barclays in london that started like building a uh board eight portfolio last year it's a good story we'll have to pull that were up they, uh, uh, were they at, uh, f1 miami were they wearing flower Probably. shirts i think what you mentioned there is kind of like that for a long time, the the pitch for even Bitcoin or crypto in general is that it's an uncorrelated asset. Correct. It's an inflation hedge, et cetera, et cetera. And what we're kind of seeing right now, anyway, in the last year or two, is it doesn't seem to be the case. Quite correlated right now. Very correlated <laughs> yeah. to the Nasdaq for sure. Um, I, will share. Know, I think. Go on. Sorry, people are gonna like be probably thinking right now. NFTs are correlated to Ethereum, obviously, right? There's they have yeah. been whacked by this like loss of value out of the ethereum ecosystem no doubt but to the extent i would have thought people would exit an asset like that if they thought we were going to like 2008 level recession hasn't been the case yeah but that i think that also comes from like a different mentality of most of the participants in this ecosystem it's like I think we've covered this a lot on the pod, the idea that like traditional asset classes and traditional investment advice and like paths of wealth creation that were available to generations before a lot of people that participate in the fringes of the ecosystem don't, they, they aren't available to you in the same way. So there is a psychological barrier that's still there. Let's check out the cryptodes boys. Yeah. Yeah, cryptos too. I was looking at it recently. Uh, I'm also while you're pulling up, I'm just going to share a bonus meme in a week because we got this. This is really <laughs> summarizing. Well, this is in the Telegram chat. Can you guys see in the Telegram? Yeah. Um, so if you if you're seeing the screen, the fear and greed index, which we've all seen before, we're definitely we're on a negative 14 right now, all the way to McDonald's, and our very own Jack shared this as well. Diamond Hands, Frank Cook, and <laughs> McDonald's. Um, that, the, the one you shared, Bilal, welcome, what was it say? Welcome back to work, Diamond Hands or something. It's, oh, the one I wrote, well, I said steady lads, which was uh, what Duquan had said no, as well. But, who's, oh. Trung, did you send oh, that one? It's like the three. You said that, it's like, welcome back, Diamond Hands. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That was someone in, um, yeah, and hold then, on, quickly. go on. Let me add one point is, uh, so Sailor, I think that was the other thing running around, yeah. Michael Sailor's average price bitcoin buy of uh, bitcoin i mean bitcoin is currently below his average buying price for MicroStrategy. but listen still ain't selling boys if you think michael he's Steeler taking it all the way down he's yeah. he's taking it all the way down man he's here for 100 years man if you're building manhattan you want a piece of granite underneath manhattan that is unmovable 
I think he has no choice yeah, by this point. He has no choice. I mean, he's all in. You, you can't. You oh, kind of yeah. just go sink with the ship. If even if it gets to that point, Jack, um, you well, going to say something? Yeah, I. I'm not going to say it very articulately because I haven't thought all the way through it. But you talked about like the level of conviction that people believe in Bitcoin have, and it's like religious the, it's like religious by this point well the outside like the metrics that map it back to other assets are almost irrelevant at a certain point right they care about the percentage of the supply of bitcoin that they own but in the case of sailor i don't know the intricacies of it he can get liquidated based on the money he borrowed to buy bitcoin right which yeah, is i a, think there's an a, entirely different scenario there's a risk of that they've been oh, talking about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude I'm thinking about it now. It's insane what it. It's actually wild what he did, right? Like, isn't he using Bitcoin as collateral to buy Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially. And people were so when people were like talking about the Elon Twitter deal, they're like, "Oh my God, Elon put a Tesla share to buy Twitter." It's like, let's step back and look what Sailor did. <laughs> well, this I mean, this is what everybody does. Like, this is uh, like a real estate portfolio. Yeah. People buy one building, they refinance it, they get the cash, they buy yeah, another completely. building, and then, and then if the whole real estate market collapses, your portfolio is buggered, right? Yeah, it's we've like seen the big short where the bets. stripper had 10, 10 houses. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, as always, just pure speculation over here, but I do, <laughs> I do think there's like, I'm I'm kind of shocked or surprised by how well some of this stuff has held up, and because people, because the NFT ecosystem in particular, I don't think every participant is valuing stuff in USD. Like right. outside of outside of, that's the one really interesting thing that the abstraction of NFTs did is that like it really is a, like an Ethereum native economy versus the like as you guys were talking about stable coins earlier i think the primary function of stable coin is like it's a like safe haven for speculators so you ride a trend up you stick your all your assets in stable coins you wait for a price to dip then you like dry powder move in again it's like uh it's it's that like ability to disability and time the market exactly (laughs) and and that's i think like why the why there's such a high demand for it and again like 90 percent of the activity within the ecosystem is just this like move into this asset move out of that asset and trung you probably have some good uh um anecdotes on this but it's like the financialization of everything is more of the economy than goods and services right just like the movement of money is a just an absolutely obscene portion of gdp and that's why like we have a podcast talking about basically (laughs) moving numbers around on a screen it's fucking stupid It's 10 to 15, maybe 20 percent of the economy at one point had reached this financialization. But and, and the number of people that are, are participating in that relative to the percentage of the economy that it accounts for is small, right? Yes, yes, no, exactly. So, what That's I why we're say, not all living in the Hamptons, boys. But I want to say this because, Jack, you mentioned it and you mentioned a number of episodes in a row now, or it's a bit of a theme for 2022. Jack is back to building. 
All right, so I gotta give, I gotta shout out to Jack's Visualize Value Twitter account. Yeah, you've been killing, killing the game right with now. these, killing them. You're on fire right now. Thank, Thank you, you boys. I appreciate that. Listeners, if yeah. you're not following Visualize Value at Visualize Value, well, first of all, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Shopify CEO Toby Lucky recently retweeted one of your bangers. There we go. Thank you, Toby. Yeah. Well, actually, let's pull it up because it's very appropriate because he's been going after uh, Wall Street analysts. For, he's been asking, we, we covered this briefly, but he's not too happy about the 70% drawdown in Shopify. And he's wondering if Wall Street analysts might have something like, you know, they're creating FUD around it. But uh, Jack, you have the one that he retweeted. Let's have a look. Up. Let's have a look. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because it's the perfect one. Is uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's not exactly the same as your famous one, but it's kind of, it's a similar idea, right? So Jack, tell yeah. us what we're looking at. So we're looking at a image captioned building versus betting, two charts. The first, if you're familiar with the uh, this is pointless chart from Visualize Value is it runs flat for 75% of the horizontal axis and then it just starts to tick up exponentially. And on the right hand side, you have a chart that is essentially, you know, down, up, up a lot, down a lot, and a lot of variance from um, over time. So the idea that's brilliant. Yeah, that's Yeah, the idea exactly. Moving numbers around versus like building e-commerce. I'm sure this is how. I mean, I'm putting words in Toby Lucky's mouth here, but like spending a decade building the infrastructure for people to start businesses yeah. is more of a value add to society than. Uh, building derivative instruments of like shitty mortgages and like allocating capital between them back and forth until you blow up a bunch of people's futures. <laughs> that that someone clip that please. That was too good. <laughs> and tag Toby in it as well. I, I want to get confirmation defend, that. I need to defend financialization a little bit. All right. Come on then, Fiat fan. Here go, Fiat okay. fan back in the game. Finance fan, CFA, Trung fan, CFA. <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> well, let, okay, let's, let, I'm going to do one example and then we can move on to the electric car things because I just want to say this. I agree with Jack and Toby on this point. All I'm saying is that, you know, financialization is like anything. It's like any innovation. It can be used for good or bad. Um, like the mortgage-backed securities, what did that actually do? What was the what was the genesis for that? Right, it created a way for floods of money to enter the housing market, and yes, it ended terribly in 2008 because of how opaque and the type of instruments that were being built that just became recursive, instrument on instrument on instrument, right? Like, and then CDO squared, like this, this, that, this. But the initial invention of it helped people buy homes in America, right? It was a way to find cheap, uh, not cheap capital, but find capital that was accessible and maybe cheaper than if it was just a bank straight up lending. But the bank was able to unload it to another party, which it does in like trillions of dollars out of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mae, all these institutions in America. But um, all the Warren Buffett what, companies, basically. Yeah, like it's this. just like that's what happened, right? It's like it got ugly, but the, the, at the at the at the core of it, there is some positivity. But that's it. I don't, I'm not defending financialization because it is a, it's complete disaster. Yeah, and, I think, I, and I think just the idea of money as a product, people don't think about that, right? Like the ultimate product to sell is money, like the, the best yeah. margin in the world, and even just 
this is actually something I'm working on right now, like how much it actually costs to borrow money. And people who, me included, have bought things with like financial agreements attached to them without really thinking about it. Like just looking at a low number and being like, yeah, seems reasonable. If you aren't like, if you don't have a like deep financial education, the leverage that people who have capital have over you is so significant. And the ability to like compound that leverage using people who don't have leverage as a vehicle is can get pretty savage right so anything that we could do to move the system away from that as a like standard behavior is a good thing in my opinion we're back to european be- lefties here mate here we go let's go <laughs> no, 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 i'm an crypto a crypto advocate over here yeah okay, yeah, yeah no. i mean no, it's, no, it's, no. It, I mean, it's an incredibly complex thing and i think the the bigger thing outside of outside of that, we're not going to fix that, is like people getting distracted from, including I think everybody on this call, from the thing that you, the things that you could be uniquely good at, the things that you can put into the world, the stuff that you can work on, the people you can work with, the things you can build that have a way more uh, long lasting, create way more long lasting insurance over your future than the chart on the right hand side yeah, that we that, just looked at that was a brilliant visualization for that reason oh, mate amazing good reminder jack's, back. jack's back in the game here we go just new lessons new lessons been processed and coming into the <laughs> um the, well, the, the only thing i did want to pull up just to round out that last part was because we were talking about it's a little I don't always love the way our boy Sean writes, but I think it was, uh, he wrote this in his newsletter recently. I thought it was a nice take on times like this beyond what I think Jack said about focusing on, you know, your competitive advantage as a person, you know, basically the first part building stuff actually and not worrying so much about the second part, but specifically as it relates to a a time right now where we're all understandably distracted or people are looking at that stuff to kind of zoom out and say like, this is the three things he said, the questions that he would ask himself, did my belief change or just the price? Am I a tourist or a local tourist leave when the weather gets bad? Locals know the season's change and know how to live with the weather cycles is it crashing was everything on sale i'm just bringing it back because i do want to say that i think that's a nice frame to to balance it out to say 100 i think people should be focused on like we've said since the beginning of the podcast what's your competitive advantage your business your job or whatever your own life but at the same time investing as we all know scales beyond yourself and that's why we've all been doing it and uh, it's a nice way to zoom out and say like have have things actually changed and maybe that is beyond just your investments it's actually just your your general the way you're spending your time like should i be spending all this time looking at chart all day or should i be building stuff the way jack has just talked about it you're compounding your losses exponentially by wasting your fucking time looking at it (laughs) yeah yeah that's a great way to put it exactly all right anyway boys let's wrap this up with a nice friendly chat on electric cars talking about the future um jack how's the new car how's the whip mate you've been busting some rick ross in it yeah what's going on Always. What's the first well, song you played in the car? Let's we have to get I've that. I've got the, the new uh, the new Jack Harlow Drake. Woo, here we go. 
The that, Churchill did you, Downs, man. Great Did track. you see those did two at the uh, Kentucky Derby? They were lit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, <laughs> what's the controversy around there? Why am I seeing his name everywhere? But well, he's got the number one. Bro, no. he's, you're going to love this guy, man. You get, he's uh, No, no, no. He's no. like this white rapper who... He's white, okay. right? He's a Caucasian yeah, guy, yeah, but he's a very charming guy. Uh, and he's, his, that song, uh, the Gwen Stefani sample, what's it called? Uh, no, it's not Gwen Stefani, Fergie. No, Fergie, Fergie, oh, Fergie, yeah, okay, yeah, you're I'm right. I'm going to listen to Churchill down right after. Okay, got it, got it. There we go, trunk, trunk, not on <laughs> the new yeah, music. You're pushing, pushing Churchill Downs in the Porsche Taycan. So first of all, why do you have this as a loaner car? Is your car in the shop or what's going on here? Yeah, just uh, getting a little off service. So they, I okay. think, I think this is a essential marketing expense for Porsche. They're, you know, they're giving out the take, the electric yeah. vehicles as loaners try and, uh, I don't know what the economics of it are, but probably some EU directive that says they have to sell X amount of electric vehicles over the next number of years. So they're trying to, you know, seed that behavior. Well, I, I think that's it's a great point. I, uh, I took my Tesla in the shop. I had a full battery replacement uh, six months ago. They gave me a model You only just bought it, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> bro. So, Jesus, no. I just bought a Tesla in November 2020. We joked about it. This was after Elon replied to that tweet the first time. And I'm like, this is just a good coffee table story. It's the most ridiculous reason <laughs> to buy a car. It's, just, it's the most amazing reason, but also insane. Oh, no, I just love that you, it's 100% true. Wait, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me frame it. For the listeners, like, wow, this guy is a total knob reply guy. Um, the lease was coming up on my Mazda CX-3, okay? Okay. And we were going uh, to get a new car anyways. All right? So basically, we were going to look at a CX-5. Great car, by the way. A Mazda CX-5. Uh, for any listeners that are unsure, we'll be able to That is want. investment advice from Trump. It is, right? It's a great car, man. The CX-5. But lease was coming up. I'm like, oh, this would be a good story that I could tell on a podcast. I haven't started one day. These guys can laugh at me. But... uh. Yeah, so like a year later, probably call it a year after a Model it. 3 you got, right, Trump? Uh, Model 3, yeah. So just yeah, the super yeah. basic. And I, I got it super lucky, though, in the sense of uh, obviously um, all car prices have gone to the roof, but I think I bought it a year later because of the uh, the production difficulty. It was like 15000 more. So I got it right before like this boost. But yeah, I think to your point, I never thought about loaners as a marketing expense until they gave me a Model X uh, when they're ripping out the battery in my car. I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing here. You're yeah. giving me a taste. You're giving me a taste of the, the good life, larger yeah. size. Um, well, my that, Costco, that Costco tactic, man, when you're going around, they give yeah. you the little, that yeah, little Nutella yeah. on the croissant and you're like, okay, I'm getting 24 of these. <laughs> yeah. okay, Bring well, it listen, home. Let's so Jack, I know nothing about cars. You are a car fanatic. Could you pepper me with questions about my Model 3? Because I wouldn't even know what to ask you. So like, what would you ask somebody driving a Model 3 if you wanted to make a decision on whether or not to buy one? Like, what are you asking? Well, you know, I think is unique about Tesla and why it's been successful as a, like wildly successful as a business. It's just, you don't really need to ask a question. Like you just go in it. Like if you drive it or you sit in it, you're just like, this is different than yeah. combustion engine car experience, right? There's- I could record a, a video in the front seat here. That's what you think. There you go. Fancy like, fan I think, vibe. I, and they're not like, it's almost like a different category of product. Like you're not like, like you said, you're just like, f 
for whatever reason you're captivated by and you like try it out for novelty reasons but I don't know how often you switch back to a normal car, but what do you notice when you go back to a normal car from a Tesla? Okay, That's so, maybe a good question. First of all, I love how you described it because that was my legit first feeling. I'm like, this is nothing like I've ever experienced before. There's just that big ass screen there. It feels, it is an incredibly smooth ride. Like, it's just like, this is totally different. They do the whole regenerative braking thing. So that's the biggest difference, right? Is uh, uh, a car will roll, like a normal ice car will roll into a uh, uh, combustion engine. But this car, because it had regenerative braking on, it doesn't roll at all, right? So like, it, it's, it's default is at a stop. That's the only difference, like as driving. But like everything else, you're like, this is like, if you're building a car from the ground, this is what it feels like, right? In 2020 or 2015, I guess, when they started rolling out Model 3 2018, but like, yeah, I like, I know nothing about car. I just know what I used to drive and I, I really enjoy this experience. Now, the one thing that has come up is the range anxiety. I cannot, mentally, I can't do three, 400 kilometer trips. It's just the build-out network in Vancouver is just not big enough of uh, power of the uh, superchargers. Because superchargers, 25 minutes fully charged, right? At home- What's your range on that, on the three? It's supposed to be 400 kilometers. Because I got is, the what, 250 at, miles or something? Yeah. If I had got the upgraded battery, I think it's 550. And the, the place I want to go in BC is about four hours away. It's like, I, we haven't gone there. Like, it's like, mm. I'm just not ready to do that. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's, that's my experience. That's my takeaway. So like, it's just, you've driven a Tesla. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How does that compare to the Taycan? Like, what, what is that like? I just, I just think the interior finish in the in the porsche is nicer like german interior like german car interiors you just can't you cannot beat that but okay. the teslas are nice i like the tesla it's a little like the first time i went i was like this is a little like clinical feeling for me like it's almost like and i'm a minimalist but it was just almost too much but yeah. then that was that was a couple of years ago now now I th like just having driven this thing around for a couple of days there's something about like even the like linear power delivery of it like it's way faster off the line if you're driving in the city it's just like you want to get out of a like a road quickly dark yeah. across the street it just it just like zips over without the like you know <laughs> the gear changing and the yeah. like like loud and i'm like I never thought that I would be interested in owning a electric car but I think for like a family car I definitely would like a like an everyday driver car, yeah. definitely would. In the city, and then, um, at home, all that, right? Yeah, like a, anything else would be a hobby thing, you know. Like if you like vintage cars or sport car or something like that, it's like that feels like it's almost going into this category of like, you know, just a hobby or a weekend thing versus like a clearly superior thing for just like um, living on a daily basis like the quiet like the sound is really good the yes. just no sound is very odd to begin with also as a homeowner more electric vehicles uh just for my own personal noise pollution reduction that's got me started thinking about that you know you get the like camaro going past at like 11 o'clock at night it's like we, we don't need to be doing this anymore and that's this coming Jack from a car homeowner. person. Yeah, that's Jack, homeowner and dad. Exactly. <laughs> Jack, exactly. we've got to ask you a quick question just to round it off here. 
the 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 most memorable car from your younger years for both of you and because uh, i know you must have some ridiculous ones with a massive spoiler <laughs> playing some insane music like a speaker in the back where you can't even fit the groceries in like just yeah. curious because uh since we're talking about cars i want to get that well, let from me you. pull up a screen share here you're we not go. gonna believe it without oh boy here we go i'm glad i asked this question already that's <laughs> a great question blood you're also gonna have to answer yourself oh yeah i'll answer Trung, like you're oh, gonna, wait a minute is, the uh, lads gonna have seen these before but trying i'll be surprised if you've ever laid eyes on gross. a vehicle like this in your life this is not this is a you ready boys <laughs> oh my god what a legendary you were pushing your fiat sink there we go Mac. the yeah. original fiat fiat jack here we go oh yeah, my goodness bro you know how much this cost 200 pounds no yeah so Come that's on. like 300 bucks yeah 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 sold it for 500 flipped it for a, for a 1.5 x an appreciating asset if there ever was one it was my yeah i got the old six by nines in the back uh no exterior six modifications you talking yeah. about the you got the rims going you got the spinning rims no, from no, uh, no, pimp no, my no. ride 2004 i couldn't i couldn't be allocating that's a <laughs> right, bad do, use of capital did you have the little cd packet in the uh, cd yeah, thing in the yeah, side the, um burn the cds the clip off um the clip yeah. off face just on so someone didn't jack your jacket when you went to the exactly mate. to tesco's killing it yeah i do one other one for you boys why are you pulling out trunk what about you mate what do you remember your first car <laughs> ford mondeo here we go wait wait let's actually let's wait for that answer because here we go look at this classic i'm pretty this sure my uncle car. had one is well, <laughs> yeah, my mum it was my mum's car i got it as a little hand-me-down no swagger in my car history <laughs> whatsoever well dude here jack pull up two cars for me pull me up a 2000 toyota corolla oh that's a classic that's a classic yeah, mate I was very pushing, economical uh, yeah pushing my parents oh look at that oh, look at that oh yeah did you have a, a thing in the back with with tissues like a little decorative <laughs> box this and the civic were the most stolen cars obviously because they're walking lights spread in vancouver at the time and they give me this trunk fan 2007 mini cooper oh, all right yeah, he stuck a $35,000 lease onto his mom. <laughs> Look at that, living the good life, son. I, dude, you were talking about asshole, newly graduated 22-year-old trunks. Like, mom, just a total fucking asshole, right? Mom, I want a, I want a Mini Cooper. Well, what are you talking about? You want a Mini Cooper? I'm like, listen, I'll split the payments with you. Except six months into paying you, I, I split off to Vietnam. So she shoulders the rest of it. Dude. I'm going to help with that one, man. You know how many chinkachentos you could buy for $35,000? All right, last one, Jack. My one was a Toyota Yaris. Don't laugh. Oh, I know you are. Toyota Yaris. Oh, I can't remember, man. It was probably 2000 and early 2000s. Did you get on that one? Oh, my goodness, dude. This one, yeah, look at that. The one on the left. Wow, looking dangerous. Looking like an absolute gangster in this one. It was my mum's car, to be fair. But it was one of those that didn't even have power steering. So to park this anywhere was absolutely absolute mess you just couldn't you do it you had to have the emergency brake bro pull that oh yeah up. <laughs> oh yeah that was it that was it that's why i do not drive anymore but uh oh man all right good good chat boys i still uh the first song 
No diggity for me. That was the first song. Dropped it. Felt like a gangster for three months. Played the same song on repeat and then yeah. never drove again, pretty much. I haven't driven in America, man. For ten, I've been there nine, ten years. I've, I've never driven Unreal, there. Unreal, dude. Insane. I've got a license. I just don't have a... A real need. I'm in New York, mate. Why did Take you put the that Google money to use? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, wasting it all in the fucking stock market, mate. So, <laughs> 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 right, sorry, to bring it all full circle. All right, boys. So I think we can call it here. Uh, great chat. And um, yeah, thanks for explaining all of that, boys. And I hope you enjoyed that. If you're listening to us still, do us a favor, smash the like button on YouTube. We haven't, we need to ask that earlier, right in the beginning of the show. But if you're listening to this, even click the link on YouTube in the show notes and smash the like button. That helps us out. Share us with a friend, share us with your group chat. Um, and let us know what you think of this one. And we will see you on the next one. I got, one idea. I got an idea, Trunk. You should do a reaction video to Churchill Downs. <laughs> for the time you hear it. All right, we'll put it in the Telegram or something. I'll save it for the next app. I won't even listen. Won't even listen. Don't listen to it. You're yeah. going to hear it on the radio, though, unfortunately, mate. No, no, no. I, I, I don't hear radio, dude. I listen to Coco Melon in the car. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. Cheers, boys. Peace. Have a good one. Peace out.